Father, we're so thankful for your presence um, that's already clearly manifest in this house. Uh, we appreciate you, Lord. Uh, thank you for the resurrected Christ. Um, his resurrection has marked our lives forever and for all eternity. It's changed time. It's changed eternity. Um, and we're thankful for that. Thank you for your grace that's extended toward us. We ask that the mighty Spirit of God will come this morning um, and open the eyes of our hearts. We ask you to light our candles and enlighten our darkness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, the presence of God is in the house this morning. You're all very welcome. Um, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, it's never all talking about resurrection. Um, and today, um, I, I'm just going to talk on the theme of, of resurrection, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and its implication um, for you and I, its implication. You know, I'm convinced that we have never fully comprehended the importance um, and the implications of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that the Spirit of God continues to open our eyes to, to this because the resurrection of Christ changed everything forever. It changed everything forever. And um, we haven't fully grasped that. And I just pray that the Lord will help us this morning um, because there's a change of position that is required, uh, that is necessary for this time. And that change of position is going to be the result of, uh, of, of greater revelation or greater understanding of the implication of the resurrection. You know, I'm going to start straight from... Um, Let's get into the thick of it in John chapter 1. Let's open to John 1 verse 47. John 1 47. Uh, this speaks about, um, or this particular passage talks about when Nathaniel, Philip had gone to Nathaniel, who was his friend, and said, Nathaniel, we found the Lord. And, and, and um, you know, and um, Philip said, can anything good thing come from Nazareth? And Verse 47, uh, I'll start reading from the New Living Translation. It says, as they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Speaking of Nathaniel. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I've seen you, I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway. Everyone say the one who is the stairway. The one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. The one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now he's speaking to Jews who are very familiar with the Torah. And they knew that from what Jesus said, he was referring to what had happened hundreds of years before um, in the experience of Jacob. We know the story. If you look at um, Genesis 28 real quick, let us look at what happened to Jacob. This was an obvious reference to Jacob's ladder. Um, and Jesus was demonstrating here, or was expressing here, that he is the fulfillment of Jacob's vision that he saw in that place which he renamed Bethel. If you look at Genesis 28 verse 10, it says, Now Jacob went from Beersheba and went towards Haran, 
And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold a ladder. Everyone say a ladder. A ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16, and said, Surely the Lord is in, this, is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been lost previously. So we see here that um, um, through this vision, Jacob had an interaction with heaven. Now, this wasn't common. In fact, this is the only time such a dynamic interaction had been, um, had been recorded uh, since the fall of man. The elements of this story are simple. We see that the heavens open. We hear interaction with heaven, the Father's voice. We see angels ascending and descending on a ladder which was on earth reaching to heaven. You know, I believe from this passage that this is God's picture of the church, a place that has access to heaven, a place where there is uh, openness or interaction with the Father's voice. You, you know, at this time, heaven is, you know, heaven is doing okay. It's the earth that needs help. How many of you would agree with that? And there's a reason why this ladder was from earth to heaven. There was, no, there was no connection of that sort. There was no help, or as it were, there was no access to the supply of heaven. And through this vision, they saw a ladder. And this ladder reached from earth to heaven. You know, one of the things that Jacob said in that passage, he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. Gates are transition places. The house of God, he says, is the gate of heaven. The house of God is a transition place. The house of God is a place where there is a ladder of access between earth and heaven. And you saw that the Bible says that the angels were ascending and descending. And I believe that um, that order is intentional because these are not angels that have their source in heaven. The word angels is the Greek word angelos, which is a messenger. So it's actually speaking about a people whose source is the earth having access to heaven, ascending to heaven and descending from heaven. But you know, all through the Old Testament, that was the only incident where we saw such access, where we saw the heavens open. In fact, if you study after Jacob, you see that after he went to Laban and spent 21 years there and came back, he went back to Bethel and had another encounter with God. Heavens were open. 
There was access to heaven's wisdom, heaven's understanding, heaven's resources. Now Jesus to Nathaniel was saying, I am the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder. He said, Nathaniel, you will behold something. Everybody will see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He says, one of the reasons I'm here is to be that ladder between earth and heaven. The ladder between earth and heaven. Allowing a dispensation of humanity to be able to ascend and descend. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says that for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. You know, through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ladder has been established between both realms. The heavens have been opened. A ladder has been established between both realms and an opportunity given for a dispensation of humanity to ascend and descend. He said, I am Jacob's ladder. You are going to see the fulfillment of that with your very eyes. The resurrection of Christ established this ladder for our ascension and descension. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. He said, this is the house of God. The church of Jesus Christ is the house of God. You and I are the house of God. And Christ in us has established a ladder for us to ascend and to descend. And the resurrection of Christ established this. And he created a church which is an ascending and a descending church. Everyone say an ascending and a descending church. You see, only the church that has ascended can be of benefit to the world. Only the church that has ascended can be of benefit to the world. If you look at what Jesus said about the church in Luke 16, and because of time, I'll just go to the Passion Translation. Look at Luke 16, verse 18. In verse 16, it says, or verse 18, it says, I give to you the name Peter. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. I give to you the name Peter, a stone. And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. Remember, the church is the house of God. It is the gate of what? Of heaven. It is a transition point between two realms. Everyone say a transition point between two realms. Hallelujah. Okay. It says, um, it's on which I'll build my church, my legislative assembly. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm. 
to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven. To release on earth that which is released in heaven. Now, when we say that only a church that has ascended can be of benefit to the world, um, it is because, you see, some of the privileges of an ascended church. Uh, number one, it is a church that sees from heaven's perspective. A church that sees from heaven's perspective. Remember how we've established this. Jacob's eyes open. He saw a ladder. He had access to the father's voice. And he saw messengers ascending and descending. And Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of that. And Jacob said that this this is the house of God. So the house of God has these elements. When the house of God is, is functioning properly, there will be access to heaven. Real access. There will be a people that through that access will ascend. And what are we getting when we ascend? We are getting heaven's perspective. Are you with me? There are things that we need on earth that we cannot establish without heaven's perspective. Are you with me? So an ascended church is one, one of the privileges of ascension is it sees as heaven sees. And it embraces heaven's priorities. You know, Jesus says, what does it profit a man if it gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Okay, there is a perspective that we need to have that is different from the world's perspective. It is the true perspective. It is the true, uh, it, it, it is, these are the priorities that we should truly embrace. But you see, we cannot see like God sees until we ascend. The other privilege of ascension is governing with heaven's power. Everyone say governing with heaven's power. You see, the reason why Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against this church is because the church is not going to use earthly weapons to fight spiritual battles. It is a church that will ascend. It will see from heaven's perspective. It will embrace heaven's priorities, heaven's strategies, and it will be a governing church. It will govern from heaven with heaven's power. Only the church that sees from heaven's perspective can be of benefit to the world. Only the church that governs from heaven and with heaven's power can be of benefit to the world. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Well, thank God he is the way. He is the ladder. He has established that pathway. Hallelujah. Now, now I know that we all know. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about Christ's resurrection and it speaks about the fact that God who was rich in mercy if you look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 from the New Living Translation we all know this it says God who is rich in mercy as he loved us so much even though we were dead because of our sins he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead it's only by, by, by grace that we're saved 
Verse 6 says, for he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can, put, uh, can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. So we know that when Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. We know that he is seated at the right hand of, of power and we are seated together with him in heavenly places. We all know that. How many of, you, how many of us know that? Okay, good. But the question is, what difference has that positioning made in your life? What difference has it made? Are you now able to see the earth from heaven's perspective? Are you now able to govern from heaven? And would you say that you are governing what is happening on the earth with heaven's power and authority. You know, when Jesus spoke to, to Peter, he said, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm. So that whatever you forbid on earth will be forbid in heaven. Or, or, or whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Yeah? Whatever you release on earth will be that which is released in heaven. So in other words, he was saying to Peter... What you need to establish God's will in the earth is not from here. Because he said, I will give you keys to heaven's kingdom. You know how he said locally that power past power. You cannot, what God wants to establish on the earth, the solutions he wants to bring on the earth are going to be executed by a people that are releasing spiritual power. Now we know that we are seated in heavenly places, but we need to ask ourselves, what difference has that knowledge had to our perspective? And what difference has that knowledge had to the dimension of power that we are releasing in our lives to govern the things that come against us physically? I'll go as far as saying for most people, it has made no difference at all. But you see, it is the fact, it is the truth. We are seated in Christ in heavenly places, in that place of authority. But I know in Galatians chapter 4 verse 1, the Bible says that now the heir, in fact, let's look at it. It says, now the heir, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. The heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ from a slave, even though he is master of all. So it means that you walk into this home, I know how you are able to tell the children of the and the servants. So you walk into this home and when you pick out the kids, the servants, you happen to pick out the child. Even though he's Lord of all, there is something about 
how he sees himself, what he's accessing, that makes you think, oh, yes, this is a servant. Now, he says the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant, even though it is, he is Lord of all. So it is possible for he who is the Lord of all in access and authority to be no different from a servant in operation. Hallelujah. So this child has access and authority, but in operation he is no different from a servant. So even though we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, even though um, God has demonstrated his mercy, even though the resurrection of Christ has established a permanent ladder between earth and heaven, and we have the access to ascend and receive from heaven wisdom and understanding, for as long as we operate as children, we will be no different from servants, even though we are Lord of all. You see, the resurrection of Christ changed everything. It changed everything. So what I want to do for a few minutes is to begin to explore how to make that transition. How to bridge that gap. Hallelujah. How do we make that transition? How do we bridge that gap? You see, I'm going to give you some very simple principles. Which if you do, will change your life forever. You know, there's a verse of scripture in, um, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. The Passion Translation says that for in his wisdom. Sorry guys, don't we have the Passion? I know we have some technical issues. Passion? At the back? Anyone passionate there? Okay. It says for in his wisdom, God designed that all the world's wisdom will be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. He took great delight in baffling the wisdom of the world by using the simplicity of preaching the cross or the story of the cross in order to save those who believe it. You see, the wisdom of God looks foolish to the world. And the principles that the word teaches us to make that transition, they look foolish to you. But if you will, in humility, embrace the process that God has outlined in the word um, to make that transition, you will enter into what God has ordained. You know, some people don't get saved because they feel that it's foolish. How can you just tell me that Jesus died for me and I accept him and then for the next, for all eternity, my destination will be different. Yeah? When they step out of their bodies and they are being ushered into hell, they will realize that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Are you with me? And in, in like manner, what the Lord has ordained as a way to bridge this gap between heaven and earth, if we actually obey it, we will start ascending and descending. Hallelujah. You're not just going to ascend, you have to descend. Why? Because we have problems here that the Lord wants to solve. Yeah? But just by staying here, it's not going to help anybody. You must ascend. And that's why he has given us the access. But when you ascend, you bring it down. 
Now let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. And you know what I'm actually doing here is giving um, meditation material. Because how you engage with this truth is what's going to determine what you get from it. How you engage with it. The power of this message is not in what I'm saying. It is what you do with it when you leave. Yeah? You know, you can do better than the person that's teaching you. Do you know that? Yeah? Because God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. How you engage with this is going to determine what you get from it. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He shed his precious blood to open the way. You know, when um, Adam and Eve were banished from the, the Garden of Eden, and the Bible says that there was, a, there was cherubim put at the east gate, and there was this flaming sword to protect the way to the tree of life. It wasn't to present, prevent us from getting there. It was to protect the way so that we can only access the tree of life when we are in Christ. That way to the tree of life is Jesus. That way that they were protecting to the tree of life is Jesus. And you and I can walk in to Eden again. Yeah, we can walk into Eden again. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. I'm just going to focus on verses 1 to 4. I'm going to read from different translations and see how far we get today. I'm going to read um, from the, the New Living Translation. It says, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ. You see, the old King James says, if you are risen with Christ. But all of the translations say since, yeah? So the if there is not like, you know, it's not like we don't know for sure. We know for sure because Ephesians tells us that we've been risen with him. So since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, it says we should set our sights on the realities of heaven. And it says we should think about the things of heaven. Set your sights and think on the things of heaven. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, and we're going to try to open it up a, a, a little bit. Do we have the Passion? It says, good. It says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Okay. It says, this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits, enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast 
on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life and now your true life is hidden away in God in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed for you are now one with him in his glory. Now, if you don't have a passion translation, you need to buy one. Okay? In fact, I'm sure you can look online and you know, there are a lot of websites that have a free one. Yeah, that you can just read. Because I, I, I think it's a very powerful translation. It opens it up to us. Um, and it's actually a, 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 it's, it's a very good translation. Now, notice the tenses. All the tenses here are in the present tense. Okay? Now, remember what I said. God wants to change our position. And that positional change is going to be the result of new understanding and awareness of truth. Are you with me? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, I read this story in Reader's Digest years ago. I don't know if anyone still reads Reader's Digest. How after the Second World War, um, for years after the Second World War, there were some people still fighting in a part of the earth because they were in, um, in dense forests. They were cut off from all communication. And there was fighting going on for a few years afterwards. Yeah? This, uh, there were American soldiers who, you know, had, had been cut off and they were just, you know, they were just in, they were just fighting. So it took them a few years to get word that the, the battle is over. You, you see, what you know can actually change your life. Sometimes you don't need extra power, you just need knowledge. Yeah? Knowledge opens the door to certain things. It actually creates a transition. Okay? And the greatest thing that you are going to get from God is not power, it's knowledge. I'm telling you, if you read Ephesians 1, it, it talks about the eyes of our understanding being enlightened so that we'll know. We'll know the hope of his calling. We'll know the riches of his inheritance. We'll know the power that's already at work within us. There is something about revelation that connects you to something that has already been established for you. It's already been established. Now in Colossians here, we see, first of all, the tense in which everything is made. It says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. It says that um, at the end of verse 4, it says that you are now one with him. You are now one. You are now one with him in his glory. You are now one with him in his glory. It is the implications of this verse that will create a bridge between earth and heaven for you. It is embracing the implications of this verse that will change your experience of the life of God. Notice some key words here. It says we're meant to yearn for all that is above. We're meant to feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm. We're meant to yearn for all things above. We're going to feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm. Don't complain 
about the power of God manifest in your life if you are not yearning and feasting. We have no basis for complaints until you can say that I have been yearning and feasting according to scripture. Yeah? We have no basis for complaints until you have done what God says you should do. The fact that you cannot see the connection between feasting and the pain of your bills is irrelevant. Are you with me? The fact that you cannot see the connection is irrelevant. Yeah? God said, do this. It's like when Jesus said to the, <laughs> to the, uh, you know, to the lepers, the ten lepers, go and show yourself to the priest. Can you imagine if they sat down and started having a dialogue with him? What is the connection? Heal me first before I go and show myself to the priest. All right, are you with me? Now, it's, it's a simple case of are we going to do what the Lord is commanding us to do to access what you yearn for and feast on. What you yearn for and feast on will determine what you are severed from and the dimensions of glory your life will reveal. What you yearn for and feast on will determine what you are severed from and the dimension of glory that your life will reveal. That's what that passage is telling us. Because to yearn means that you have a focused desire. Okay, when we read Psalm 27 verse 4, it is no surprise how David's life turned out. Yeah? One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold the glory of the Lord and uh, inquire in his temple. Right? So this is what he did. And then he was mighty in battle. He had wisdom. In, he had strategic understanding. This is the thing he did. All right? He yearned for and he feasted on. What are you yearning for? To yearn speaks about focused desire, passionate desire. There is something about your desires that does things in the spirit. You, you may not understand the link. But in the realm of your spirit, your desires are tangible. In the spiritual realm, your desires have substance. Your desires have substance. What you are focusing on has substance. It grants access. The heir, as long as he's a child, will be no different from a servant, even though he is Lord of all. He says, yearn for all that is above. Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm. Now you are feasting on these treasures as your present reality. You are feasting on them, not, you know, I was saying to somebody that heaven is not a place in the future. Heaven is now. You know, something when we think about heaven, we think about it as a future place. No, heaven is actually now. Hallelujah. It's actually now. Heaven exists now. It's a realm that we have access to now. So he says, feast on the realities of the heavenly realm as your present reality. As your present reality. When we do that, when we yearn for what is above, you're not yearning on it, of it, of, for it like, oh God, please give it to me. No, you are yearning for it as in this is my destiny. 
That, that is the, the attention of your desire. The resources that heaven promises. You are, you are yearning for it. Have you noticed that everything that God gives us, he gives us from heaven? Notice when Paul was speaking to the Philippians, he says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. His riches in the realm of glory. So he, he, Paul was talking about the meeting of your needs, but he wasn't talking about it from the perspective of what is available. He was talking about it from a place of supply that goes beyond time. Have you noticed that the Bible says that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms? So he's saying that you should yearn for those things. You should feast on those things as your present reality. As your present reality. When we do that, we will begin to see what heaven sees and will be granted the power to govern from heaven. Now, now let us, just for a few minutes, try to unpack this a little bit more. So when the Bible says in verse 1, maybe I should even do a Q&A here. Make it like house church. You know when the Bible says in verse 1 that Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. And this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and glory. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. So what it says, what it's saying, the implication of that is that you should see yourselves as co-raised with Christ. See yourselves as co-raised with Christ. Ponder with persuasion the consequence of your co-inclusion in him. So if Christ's resurrection is my resurrection... And if, as the Bible says, as Christ was raised from the dead and seated, you know, he's seated at the right hand of God, not because it's just a good place to sit. Because in the spirit, where you are seated speaks about your authority. And that is why Philippians was saying he was given a name above every name, yeah, uh, of things on, uh, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So he was speaking about a place of supreme authority and power. And the fact that you and I are seated there, it means that we are in that place of supreme authority and power. Now, begin to think about the implications of that. If Christ's resurrection is my resurrection, and I begin to ponder with persuasion the consequence of my co-inclusion in him, what does that do to me? If Christ's resurrection is my resurrection and I've been co-included in him by the grace of Almighty God, what does that do to me in terms of what I believe I have access to and what I believe to be, should I say, the definition of my life? 
You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, the Bible says that he that joins, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. If I'm one spirit with the Lord, if I ponder that with persuasion, it means that whatever Jesus is doing, I am included along with him. It means that there is nothing that the Father will hide from me because to hide something from me, he must hide it from Jesus because I am one spirit with him. There are implications of my co-inclusion that would affect the way I look at things. It means that when CNN has a broadcast, I don't use that as the basis of truth. I'll press into the Father and wait until I see because it is my privilege to know like Jesus knows because I've been co-included with him. Now the Apostle Paul says, this is what you and I must yearn for and this is what we must feast on. Relocate yourself mentally. Relocate yourself mentally. Engage your thoughts with throne room realities where you are co-seated with Christ in the executive authority of God's right hand. Relocate yourself mentally. Relocate yourself mentally. You know, there is no sickness that will stay on your body if you relocate yourself mentally into that place that you are, you are actually seated. You know, scientists talk about um, psychosomatic diseases. Psycho speaks about the mind. Soma speaks about the body. What's happening in your mind will affect your body. You know, you can have pimples on your body based on stress in your mind. Yeah, we all know that, okay? In fact, I was reading something just yesterday how scientists have been able to identify that the kind of food we eat actually affects our ability to think and to remember. Yeah, there are some, you know, all kinds of microbes and stuff in, us, in, our, in our guts that depend on what you eat, you can kill them or enhance them. Yeah, so what's happening in your body is affecting your mind. What's happening in your mind is affecting your body. What you focus on, what you think on, yeah, will affect the dimensions in which you have access to, is what the Bible is saying. Now, notice these words. You've got to feast on it. You've got to feast on it. It's not something you read once in a while. You've got to feast on it. Everyone knows what feasting is. Just think about how you eat normally. That is actually feasting. For most people I've seen eat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we invited some people, you know, I mean, this was a long time ago, you know, some young people, uh, you know, that were working in my, in, my, in my house, and we said they should sit with us for lunch, you know. I only did it once. I said they should sit with us for lunch. You know, when we served from the kitchen into a bowl, the young man that was sitting there thought the whole bowl was his, so he pulled the bowl to himself. I am not joking. He was about to put stew in the bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to calm him down and re-educate, reorient him. <laughs> now, that kind of eating is what the Bible is saying. <laughs> <laughs> he said feast on these realities feast on these realities think about the things of heaven not things of the earth he said we shall set our minds upon things that are above become 
affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts. When you become affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts, it would, it would cut off the distraction of the earth. You know, there's a lot happening on earth that is a distraction. In fact, if you look at um, Romans chapter 1, I'm trying to round this up. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who what? Who suppress the truth? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness? You know, one of the things wicked men do is they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The Passion Translation says, For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people acknowledging the truth from God. Wicked men will deliberately, everyone say deliberately, they will deliberately suppress the truth and smother the truth. You know, there's a verse of scripture that we must take to heart. And that is this verse in, in Revelation 12 verse 9 where he's talking about the devil. It says the devil and Satan, who he said called the devil Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him. Who does the devil deceive? Oh, come on. Who does the devil deceive? Who does the devil deceive? The devil deceives the whole world. Yeah? So that means that if you are believing what the world is telling you, you are already deceived. That, that is quite an important truth that we must embrace. The Bible says that the world system will deliberately suppress the truth. So a lot of things that they are calling conspiracy theory. When you actually look behind the scenes, a lot of those things are actually conspiracies. They are not just theories. And we need to be careful because the Bible says that there is a world system. And that world system is trying to distract you. But unknown to you, the world system is consciously suppressing the truth. And unless we embrace this posture of feasting on heaven and heaven's realities as revealed in the word, we'll be distracted and limited and framed. Our lives will be framed by what the world system is teaching us. And the enemy is deceiving the whole world. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 4.18, the Bible says that we should not focus on things that are seen, but things that are not seen. The things that are seen are changeable. The things that are not seen are eternal. It is the unseen realm that must have our full attention and must captivate our gaze. Hallelujah. It must captivate our gaze. So when we read, you know, Hebrews 12, you know, from uh, verse 22, when it says that we have now come to the heaven realm, we have now come to the Zion realm, we have come to the, you know, the city of the living God, you know, innumerable communal angels, uh, the church of the firstborn who's written, uh, written in heaven, you know, we, we've come to the blood of sprinkling. You know, we, we are meant to be feasting on that. That ought to be where we locate ourselves in our thoughts. 
know that when you get to heaven, and I don't mean after you die, when you ascend, there's a throne there. We know the scripture of the throne in Revelation 4. There are seraphim flying around. That's where you are seated. And all the seraphim, they have eyes all over them. And they have full vision. What are the seraphim saying? Yes, what are they saying? Okay, that's part of the sentence. Yes, that's part of the sentence. The whole world is full of his glory. Is your city full of its glory? You, you see, if we are feasting on heavenly reality, the way we begin to look at the earth will change. Because honestly, when you read that verse, you almost feel like giving a, uh, you know, handkerchief to help clean all the eyes of the seraphim. Because if they say the whole earth is full of this glory, what are they seeing that you are not seeing? What are they seeing that we are not seeing? If we are an ascended church, we will have a different perspective. If we are feasting on the reality of heaven, if we are feasting on what the word has said about us, who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us, if we are feasting on that, if we are, if we are locating ourselves as co-included in Christ and we are looking from that perspective, we will say without reading the scripture, your perspective will be the earth is full of his glory. Because all of a sudden your eyes will open to his grace that is already at work in your, on your behalf. He, your eyes will open to what he has already provided for you. That's available for you to connect with here. He says if we want to change the world. Our yearning must be different. Our feasting must be different. Where we locate ourselves in our thoughts must be different. Where we locate ourselves in our thoughts must be different. It must be different. Must be different. Must be different. It must be different. It says, for you died to this life. And I'm ending with this. Or maybe not. What time is it? Okay. You died to this life and your real life is hidden with God in Christ. Your union with Christ's death broke the association with that world, with this world. See yourselves located in a fortress where your life is hidden with Christ in God. Occupy your mind with this new order of life. That my old life is dead. My real life is hidden with Christ in God. You and I died when Christ died. Whatever defined you before, defines you no more. You, you see, the implication of that has far-reaching consequences. Whatever defined you. Before, if you died with Christ, if he severed you from this life, whatever defined you before does not define you anymore. 
You are not defined by him. You see, these are thoughts that we must embrace. And when we embrace these thoughts, it will do something in your heart. It will do something in your heart. It will change. It will do something in your heart. And all of a sudden, you have access to more. The more you have access to has always been yours. But you have now ascended to see and embrace the quality of life that Christ has made available. A lot of us are waiting to die to enter our inheritance. Christ is saying that the inheritance is available to us now. The inheritance is available to us now. And it all depends on what you are yearning for and what you are feasting on. Yeah? Because what you are yearning for and what you are feasting on will be what severs things from your life and will be what ushers you into a new experience of life. The last verse says, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Whatever we see in Christ, we walk into it automatically. Why? Because we are co-included with him. Whatever we see in Christ, we walk into it automatically. You know, we, we quote this verse that says, In him, I live and move and have my being. Yeah? But in us, he lives and moves and has his being. In us, he lives. In us, he moves. In us, he has his being. Because he's in us and we are in him. We're not just moving in him, he's moving in us. If we are co-included with him, then in us he lives and moves and has his being. In us he expresses himself. Therefore, when I, when I press into that thought, all limitation in my life is broken. Whatever he's doing, I am doing. I can do what he's doing because he's doing it in me. He's doing it in me. What we see in him, we see in us. You know, this verse is often translated to again delay the revelation of Christ to a future event. That word, when, when, is the Greek word otan, which if you check it out, it is better translated every time. There are a lot of verses in scripture that use that word when. Yeah, when. So for instance, Jesus in Mark 13 says, when they shall lead you and deliver you up, whenever this happens, whenever this happens, whenever this happens, whenever Christ is revealed, you become what is revealed. Whenever you see him, you see yourself in him. This is a continuous revelation. The appearing of Christ, the seeing of Christ in us, the more of him we see, the more we become what we see. Hallelujah. In his ultimate revelation, when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. But even now, as we press into him, we are seeing more of him. And the more of him we see, the more of him we reveal. The more of him we see, the more of him we reveal. 
So the church of Christ, the resurrection of Christ changed everything. Changed everything. You know, there is no dimension of time and eternity that did not feel the impact of Christ's resurrection. There's a reason why Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. Because everything has been done. There is no dimension of time. If today we enter into a spaceship and we travel for 3 million light years. And we go to a planet where they, where they breathe in oxygen. And they breathe out sulfuric acid. And you say Jesus is Lord. You will feel the anointing of God there. There is no dimension that you can enter into. There is no, there is no place there's no time, there's no dimension of creation that you will enter into that at the Lordship of Christ is not celebrated and acknowledged. In hell, they bow down, they quiver. There's no dimension. And Jesus says that you have been co-included in him. What grace. The doors have been opened to us. Any limitation you feel Anything that you have allocated to the future, it is an error of sight. It really is. Because when you read the Bible, you will see that people that had no business entering into some things, entered into them because they saw. Enoch entered into things that were not his, his, his uh, dispensation to enter. In fact, David entered into dimensions of worship that were for the new creation. Because when you step into heaven, you are beyond time. Dispensation is a time manifestation. You know that. And he says you should yearn, you should feast on these things. You should feast on these realities. It will reconstitute your definition of yourself. Because the limits that you are seeing in your heart are limits that have been imposed by the, our lack of sight. And that's why when 5,000 people needed to be fed, Jesus tested them and said, you sort it out. He knew what he was going to do. Why? Why? It is logical to look around and see how many bakeries are available. That's logical. But he was in peace in that situation because he, his, his definition was not based on that which you see. If our definition is based by what we see, then it just tells us that we're not feasting on the right thing. We're not seeing from the right perspective. We're not governing from a different place. And we are living in a time now where darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people. And it's challenging us to arise and shine for our light has come. Resurrection, his resurrection is our resurrection too. We need to press into it until we are fully persuaded like Abraham was. Romans 4.1 tells us that what did Abraham discover? When he became fully persuaded, he discovered something that he could access an endless life. He discovered it. There are things that we must discover now. The earth needs us to discover them now. The Lord is inviting us to ascend now. 
What are you feasting on? What are you yearning for? That is what's going to determine what is severed from our lives and what we manifest. There's no dimension. You know, as, as uh, Pastor Solomon was talking about, about thoughts, bringing application to that thing I saw in the spirit, thought, thought, thought. These are the thoughts that must pervade our hearts. These are true thoughts. These are real thoughts. These are thoughts that are based on truth. Hallelujah. These are thoughts that are based on truth. Hallelujah. And as Jesus revealed and manifested that thought and, and changed people's lives and brought miraculous healing and brought supernatural provision and brought great solutions to human's need, humanity's need, we will do the same. Because Christ himself lives in us, walks in us, and has his being in us. 